Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Our passage this morning uh, that we're going to hear from Pastor Billy is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It'll be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible and you want to read along, we invite you to do that and, and encourage it. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Bill, if you want to come up, I'll pray for you this morning. Father, I ask that in these next moments, um, you would eradicate every bit of attitude in our hearts that says, I've heard this before. I already know this story. God, would you make our hearts and our minds like the kids that were up here just a little bit ago? Just humble us, Lord. Enable us to hear what you would have for us today and enable Billy to speak exactly what you would have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. So I don't know about you guys, um, but I'm kind of curious. Have any of you ever ran out of gas, right? Okay, it's a little bit, okay, it's a few more people than I expected, so, you know, good for you. Uh, so fortunately, I have never run out of gas. That's the only thing I wanted to say. Now you're embarrassed. No, 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 here's the deal. I've come really close, right? But so far, so good. Now, there was this one time, though, I was, again, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I worked for our admissions department when I was in college. So we would take these trips, we'd go all over the country, and we did one trip that I kind of coerced our college into doing, which is a music fest called Cornerstone. Uh, it was a Christian music fest. It was like a week long. It was a ton of fun. And we went, 
and it was a blast. We got to meet a lot of kids during the day, got to see a lot of fun bands at night, and we're ready to go, and it had rained all day long, and we were in a 15-passenger van, and we just decided to back out, and the mud said, no, you're not, and we got totally stuck. And we're freaking out. We're trying to do everything we can. We're working at it. We're, we are just digging deeper and deeper in. We're, we're running around seeing if there's somebody around who could maybe like have a tow chain that could pull us out because we were totally stuck. And about that time, uh, the guy who came with me was the head of admissions department. Tyler is in the front seat. He's like saying stuff, yelling out orders. And I look up to see Tyler and I see glowing from the dash is the gaslight. And I say, uh-oh. <laughs> Oh no, we are in big trouble because not only are we stuck, we are low on gas. Now, a lot of you guys just admitted you know that feeling of being worried you might run out of gas. And maybe you've been stuck before and you've been worried about that as well. Here's the thing. A lot of us tend to think of faith like that. You think faith is something that you can either have a lot of or then at times it kind of sort of wanes. It's like a gas tank. And I wonder if you're here and the dashboard of your heart has this burning orange light because you would say that your faith is running on empty. Sadly, we don't think about faith very much until we need it, right? Many of us, we, we come in this morning, and maybe we would even say, oh, I have faith. But when difficulty or emergency strikes, whether that's sickness, temptation, relational strife. In these times, our faith can struggle and we can feel like we don't have enough. That, Coram Deo, that is precisely the problem that Jesus' disciples are going to find themselves in. In our text, we see them come up against an obstacle and their faith is absent. Personally, this is a particularly challenging passage for me, right? Because I can so relate to the failure of the disciples. But I also love Jesus' response to it. So, so let me say this. Whether you're new to this stuff or whether you are a Christian veteran, faith is something that we all will wrestle with. It is. And my prayer today is that whether you are in a moment where you feel totally burnt out and you have very little faith, I pray this would encourage you. But also, if you're here this morning and, and life is, well, frankly, it's easy. Things are going really well for you right now. I pray that this would encourage you for the inevitable moments when life is difficulty. So let's jump in it this morning. If you have a Bible... Turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And let me just say this. If you don't have a Bible, we have several items on that resource table. Everything on there is free, right? So if you want anything, there's some books and other things over there. But we also have Bibles. Feel free to snag one of those. It's our gift to you. Now, as a reminder, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've just passed the midway point of Mark. And from this point forward, it's a one-way journey towards the cross at Calvary. Everything is moving towards that point. The, the last couple weeks, as we've walked through this gospel, we have seen some pretty big moments, right? We saw Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ. And then Jesus, if you remember, opened it up and kind of pulled the curtains back on what it means to be a disciple. 
he had laid out these pretty intense demands of discipleship. And then last week, we saw Jesus ascend the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they saw this glorious revelation of Jesus in the transfiguration. And now we catch up to them as they're walking back down the hill. And what we see is that things, well, they're not going well. In fact, things have gone awry. Mark's version of this story is actually twice as long as Matthew and Luke's. And that's because Peter is so impacted by what happens. This is a a deeply impactful moment. Coram Deo, let me just say this, because this may feel familiar. This text can deeply change our lives. And I would petition you, and pay attention this morning. Sadly, our text begins with the absence of faith. Verse 14. And when, the disciples, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So what's happening here is this is kind of like a teacher that comes upon a fight at recess, right? Jesus comes back down and he sees this huge mess of fighting. There's backbiting. And and Jesus, like a teacher breaking up a fight, is like, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Why are you guys arguing? Like, what's happening? And when the crowd sees Jesus, they get excited. They're like, oh, man, it's about to get good now. Everyone, hurry, come. Jesus is here. Now, before anyone can answer, a dad steps up. And he describes a truly tragic and heartbreaking situation. Look at verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, several things, when you read it fast, can get glossed over. First, notice this. The dad believed. He did, at least initially. He believed that Jesus could help his son. He has this son who has a demon, and so he's like, I got to go. I got to find Jesus because Jesus can help. Unfortunately, there was no Jesus because he was still up on the mountain. So he turns to his disciples thinking, surely these guys can help me. Now, maybe it was because the dad had heard that the disciples had already gone out and cast out demons themselves. Or maybe it was because the dad knew that in their culture, disciples were supposed to be like their rabbi. And if we can't get the best thing, Let's at least get the next best thing. But the disciples are unable. They're not able to do it. The demon was too great, and all nine of them were defeated. And Jesus says the reason for their defeat. He kind of starts speaking like an Old Testament prophet. He starts separating himself from the crowd, and he says, You are a faithless generation. The reason for this inability to cast out the demon was the absence of faith. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, maybe you you haven't read through them before, I feel I should tell you that Jesus usually isn't this exasperated with people. But here, 
he is really at a point of deep frustration. This is a cry of exasperation. And this is doubly challenging. First, he's saying, I won't always be here to hold your hand. And for how long am I going to have to be here to hold your hand? That's exactly what he says. Now, for us, I think there's really two points of application. And which one you choose depends on where you're coming from. If you're still checking Jesus out, right? if you're new, if you're searching, even back then, Jesus thought that there had been enough on record for the people to make a decision of faith. That's why he says, you're a faithless generation. You've seen, you've heard, you've had enough, and you still don't believe. I submit to you, we've got way more content. We've got way more content that we can base our decision on as we are living this side of the cross and the resurrection. The history of God's church has been preserved through centuries. And if you're seeking, if you're searching, this is not the time to kind of just fold your arms, sit back and say, impress me, Jesus. I would submit that this is the time to lean in to what he's already said. There is enough here to make a step of faith. And I would encourage you to do that. For many of us, though, we would say, I've already done that, right? I've made the step of faith. We're veterans in the faith. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, notice this. People will look to you when they cannot find Jesus. That is a heavy thing, friends. When Jesus is not in sight, people will look to his followers and expect them to act like him. So, Coram Deo, if you profess to know Jesus, but you are unloving, if you profess to know Christ, but you're unavailable, if you profess to know Christ and you're unwilling to help, you're unwilling to show love, to minister to needs, people will think Jesus is like that. Now, beyond all of this, we see what's frustrating to Jesus is the absence of faith. It's the absence of faith that frustrates Jesus. And it's important we see it not as a specific measure of faith, right? Not how much, again, that gas tank idea. That's not what frustrates him. What frustrates him is the object of faith. Where do we place our faith? It's where it's placed that upsets him. And so second, let's see the object of our faith. Second, the object of faith. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, when the demon sees Jesus, it freaks out and it immediately throws the boy down into what we would most likely describe as a severe seizure. Now, 
when we read this, don't miss the compassion of Jesus. Jesus isn't responding like a detached doctor asking symptoms. He's not like, mm, how long has this been going on? Is it better, worse, or about? He's not doing that, okay? That's not what's happening. He's meeting this dad right where he is. His heart is broken for this father and for this little boy. And we kind of lose that in the English. He, he sees this little boy fall down in front of him and he looks straight at the dad because he's trying to lock on to teach us and to teach this dad something. And he says, how long has he been going through this? And the father says, from childhood. And look, you don't, you don't even have to be a parent to try and imagine the desperation that this dad has. Your son has a demon that will throw him into streams, toss him into the fire. This demon wants to destroy this young image bearer of God. And this mom and dad, they, they can never let him out of their sight because they know this demon is bent on killing their son. And the tragedy, though, is because of the disciples' failure, this dad's faith has now taken a hit. Do you see it? Again, the dad was eager to get to Jesus. Jesus can do something. And because of the failure of the disciples, doubt has crept in. And he says, if you can just do anything, have compassion on us. The father makes a mistake that I think some of us, especially if you're searching, do. You cannot always judge Jesus based upon his people. One of the great stumbling blocks to people taking a step of faith is because they see someone who professes faith in Jesus and yet you see them act in a way that runs contrary to that profession. And and, and they see this and they're like, aha, see? It's fake. I knew it. No. No. No, friend, it's not fake. It's just that we're not the ones we want you to look at. We, we want to direct your gaze to Christ. He, he's the perfect one. And it brings me no joy to say, I don't always live the life that I desire to. But I'll say one thing and I'll do the other. I do things I know that displease him. And and if you guys were to watch me 24-7, you might have some doubts about my Jesus too. But I'll tell you, I'm the failure, not him. This dad's faith has taken a hit, and the next part here is equal parts sassy and beautiful. Because Jesus is going to direct his faith. Verse 23 And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cries out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus is calling him to see that it's not whether or not Jesus could heal. But did this dad believe he could? Jesus is directing this man's gaze 
And the father cries out in words which I believe surely we can all relate to. I believe, help my unbelief. I'll tell you, there's too many people in the church that think that is precisely the dad's problem. He doesn't believe enough. Sure, he believes, but it's like a quarter of a tank kind of belief. His dad actually goes on record with, I believe, help my unbelief. As if we expect Jesus to say to him, and there's the issue. You don't have enough faith. You have doubt. You believe, but you do not believe enough. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever been at your wit's end? You're at your lowest point and someone just comes up and says, sweetie, you just need to have more faith. Meanwhile, you're on your knees, exasperated, asking, what am I supposed to do? This moment happens and the dad responds honestly. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And what's so beautiful Jesus doesn't say, have more faith. That's your problem. Just have more faith. Listen, Coram Deo, if you've ever been wrongly told that you just need to have more faith, or if you've ever been taught that, I I want you to pay attention. Because what Jesus shows us here is absolutely massive. It is not the measure or depth of the faith that you possess that causes a response. It is the object you place it in. Right? Whatever little faith you have, where you place it, that is what matters. It is not the measure or depth of faith that you possess that gets a response. It is the object you place, whatever little faith you have in it, that matters. The critical factor is not that the dad expresses doubt. He clearly does. I believe. Help my unbelief. The critical factor is he turns to Jesus with the doubt that he has. His entire cry is a cry of faith. He says, I believe you can heal my son. And I believe you are the one that can help me believe it. He's not resting on anything other than than Jesus. Faith is not something that you and I can measure on a dashboard. It's not high or low faith. Here's an odd analogy, but it really helps me. Think of a game of roulette. Welcome to church. Think of a game of roulette, okay? You know, this is when gamblers kind of, they place their money as someone throws a ball that's on a spinning wheel. And here's what happens. Gamblers will often hedge their bets. What does that mean? So there's red and black with lots of numbers, and they're going to place a bet on where they think this ball will land. And so they place their bets on red and black and on multiple numbers. They're hedging their bet, hoping that somewhere the ball will land. They hedge their bets to give themselves a shot. Now, here's what faith does. Faith is making the object Jesus. It's taking all the chips you have, whether it's a few or a stack, and putting them all on Jesus. It's not my ability that I'm going to lean back on. It's not that, oh, I've been through this before, so now I can get through it. 
It's not that, oh, I could write a check and, and, and make it go away. It is Jesus and Him alone for all my needs, all my aspirations, all my fears, all my hopes. He alone is the object of my faith. So let me ask you, not how much faith do you have, but Coram Deo, what is the object of the faith that you have? Is there a chance this morning you're hedging your bet? Are you leaning on experience, leaning on attributes, leaning on your checkbook, but not all on him? Contrary to what our world trusts in, the object of our faith needs to be Christ. Because, friends, that is where the power rests. That's what we see third, the power of faith. Verse 25, look at verse 25 with me. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came together, came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. He arose. Jesus had heard all that he needed to hear from the man. Jesus heard that he had faith. And Jesus heard that he had doubt. But all of it was placed on him. And for Christ, that was enough. And when he sees the crowd starting to grow, Jesus knows, i got to expedite the situation or it's going to get out of hand. And he makes the rarest of double commands. He says, you're going to get out and you are never coming back. And the demon obeys. Jesus commands, but as the demon obeys, it throws this dramatic final little hissy fit and throws this young kid down. And so intense and, 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 and wild was his exit that this child appears dead. So much so that people start whispering amongst themselves, oh my goodness, he's dead. Look. Now think for a moment about this dad. What an emotional roller coaster. What is going through his mind as he sees his son on the ground? I brought my son to Jesus for healing, and he wasn't here, and his disciples, all of them, were unable, and now Jesus is finally here, and I was hopeful, I believed, and yet I doubted, and now my son is dead because of me and my unbelief. Now, before Jesus enters in, let me say this, Coram Deo, it is so crucial for you to understand that when taking a step of faith, it's not always sunshine and roses. Else would it really be faith? You see, things can and will get bumpy. In those moments, man, it is hard to hold fast. It is hard to cling to faith. But in those moments, we have to look to Jesus. You see, the thing for this father is that his son is not dead. Jesus is there. Jesus goes up to him, grabs his hand, and raises him up. And I will tell you, as sure as I stand here before you today, Jesus is willing to do the same for you. 
Though the situation from our perspective looks opposite. You see, the boy, the boy here, he appeared dead, but he wasn't. And a lot of you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you appear alive, but you are spiritually dead. Your sins have separated you from God, from the God who made you. And that separation has caused a spiritual death, and there is no amount of effort There's no amount of good works. There's no check that can be big enough. You can't volunteer your way out of this. You are spiritually dead. And only Jesus Christ can raise you up. And you need to confess him as Lord. You need to turn from your sin and ask him to forgive you your sin. And he will reach down and pick you up and give you new life. And just like that boy will never and never did ever encounter that demon again, so you will never be spiritually dead again or separated from his loving care. Christ died once for all. His blood shed for you, friend. And Jesus did all of these things in this book to display and tell you of his great love for you. Jesus loves you immeasurably. And he looks at you. And he's like, how, how long has she been like this? How long has he been carrying this burden and he wants to give you life. Corndeo, that is the power of faith when Christ is the sinner and object of it. But the disciples have some questions, just like you and I often do. And so Jesus tells them the key, the key of faith. And that's our final point, the key of faith. Look at verse 28. And when he had entered his ho- the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, if you've read the Gospel of Mark, you know the minute they go into a house, the disciples are going to be like, hey, Jesus, a couple questions. What happened, right? They don't know what's going on. They have so many things going through their minds. And after failing to cast out this demon, this whole spectacle happens. They go in and they're like, hey, Jesus, could I raise a practical question? Um, Why could you do it, but we couldn't? Now, on one hand, you would expect Jesus to say, look, I already told you, right? Faithless generation. But Jesus doesn't tell them what they lacked. Jesus tells them how to get what they do not have. The answer to increasing your faith is not found in digging deeper or just telling yourself to have more, okay? And, and if someone's told you that, I'm, I'm deeply sorry. The, the, someone failed you in that. Because Corndale, if you're here and you would desire to increase your faith, that happens, Jesus says, through prayer. It's through prayer that we grow our faith. It's through coming to him. It's through prayer that we can keep Jesus as the object and the center of the faith that we have. Whether that faith is small or large. Just like Jesus would say to that dad and would say to us, the problem isn't Jesus. It's you. It's me. 
you and I must go to the one who is able. We must pray. You see, more prayer reminds us of our desperate need for him. And there are, there are for certain things that you and I will encounter in life that can only be handled by prayer. And it's so instructive, right, that Jesus says this kind. See, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer. What Jesus suggested is that these disciples, they've had some history, right? They've had a pretty decent track record. You guys have cast out demons before. But this one, you can't rest on your resume. This one, you can't do it in and of yourself. And we don't know if when the dad came, the disciples were like, oh, a demon? Got it. Let's go. Here we go, right? And then one by one by one, they all meet failure. Let's face it. There's a lot of things, Coram Deo, that we can do without prayer. Right? You could pass a math test, and you might be thinking, no, I couldn't. Yes, you could, right? If I gave you some time, you could do that, right? You can walk across the street. You can welcome a new neighbor. You can do that. There's so many things that we can do in and of ourselves because we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are people of great capacity. But there are some things when she's sick, when you can't conceive, when the bills keep piling up and up and you can't find a job, Coram Deo, we face things that in and of ourselves, we cannot face those kinds of battles apart from prayer. How many days do you and I wake up, we go to work, and we don't even pray a single thing? How many times have we dropped the kids off at school? We walk into tough discussions and we tell ourselves, I got this. When the disaster strikes, friends, you already want to be prayed up. We need to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer so that our faith is equipped and present to respond in a time of need. So that when crisis arises, we're not like, what do I do? But we say, I know where to go. And this passage, friends, is deeply challenging to me. Because the beginning, when they show up on the scene, that, friends, is what ministry absent of Jesus looks like. Oh, there can be a spectacle, but it's filled with argument, failure, and doubt. If Coram Deo Church is going to be effective in ministry... If you and I are going to continue to grow, then we must, we must be a people marked by expectant, dependent prayer. Maybe this morning you look at your life and you feel like it looks like this scene. You aren't praying. You aren't desperate like this dad to see Jesus work in power. Your faith is lacking. You aren't yearning for the living God. If that's you this morning, let me call you to pray for faith. I think back to that moment that we were stuck in the mud. I was super concerned. 
we are going to now be living in Bushnell, Illinois, where no one lives. This is a problem. And I freak out, and I'm like yelling for help like a maniac. And my friend Tyler, who's in the front, who's supposed to be our leader, gets out and just says, calm down, relax. Here's what we're going to do. Billy, up front, get the mats out of the car. What, like the, the what mats? The floor mats, Billy. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get the floor mats. You, over here, Daniel, come here. Start digging up under these tires. He starts just telling us what to do. We put the mats under the tire, and before you know it, we're out. He had been there before. Now again, faith is not something we measure, but it's something that does grow over time. And when you see Jesus respond in the small things, when you see him respond to the times when you're stuck, he teaches you, he trains you, he builds you up so that when you are really stuck, your eyes are not fixated on the gauge. You're not worrying how low is the gas, but you've been there before and you jump into action. Now, there's two ways I would want to end. The first is if you are here this morning and you've been listening, you're like, I mean, this is good and stuff, but life is good for me, Billy. Things are going really well. Can I just ask, not in judgment, but honestly, friend, are you praying? How much are you praying? Because you and I need to pray, and we need to grow our faith. And by we need to grow our faith, we need to come to the one who can actually do it, not us mustering it, but Jesus giving it to us. Why? Because there will be trials. There will be things that we face that are too strong for us, and we will find ourselves stuck, and we need to be trained to keep our eyes on the object of our faith. I will tell you, I have not always done everything right. I have not. But I have never regretted keeping my eyes on Christ. He has never failed me. Oh, I have failed him. But he has never failed me. I've never come up wanting. Now, he hasn't always done what I've prayed for. But he's helped my unbelief when it hasn't gone my way. So first, do you need to pray more? The second way I would end is more for those of us who are stuck right now. He's in the hospital. We don't have a job. We're running out of time. Maybe you are in a job you completely and totally disdain. Maybe you're under an overwhelming pile of stress. Maybe it's something else entirely. But I would encourage you this day, in these next moments to pray the prayer of this dad. Confess your belief and ask him to help you with your unbelief. Ask him to give you faith that you do not possess. And in doing that, give him all the faith that you have. Ask him and him alone to be your sufficiency, to be your help, to be your solid foundation in this time of trouble that you find yourself in. I have been praying that God will meet you richly and as you ask for faith, that he would respond. And I am praying for sure that he gets you out of the jam that you find yourself in. But my prayer, friends, more than anything, is that we would yearn 
for the living God. There is endless amounts of bad news. If you want it, you can find it. There are trials, tribulations, hardships, and woes. There is one who is able. He is able. And with him, all things are possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are the living God. That we can come before the throne of grace now with confidence because of Jesus. That we can come before you, Lord, humble, hungry, with doubt. And we can trust, Lord, that you will meet us when we place all of our faith, all of our doubt on you. Forgive us, God, for the times we don't pray. For the times, Lord, when you've stirred our heart, you've compelled us, you've convicted us and said, man, I just, I need to go to others. I need people to lift me up in prayer. But we think, nah, that's for someone else. I got this. Jesus, would we come to you and see that you are the one who can actually do something. You are the one who can actually heal us. And would you do that, Lord? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.